Live to see it, friends. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist. You can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T dot com. Or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. On Fast Forward Radio and at The Speculist, we talk about what's happening in the world today and where we think the world is going. And our motto is, if you're not totally psyched about the future, you're not paying attention. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me here in the virtual studio is my co-host, co-blogger, and co-futurist, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Oh, very good. Had a big week this week. And, uh, yeah, what's going on? Well, um, you know, we have been uh, waiting for uh, uh, the Dark Knight, uh, the Batman movie, to come out this week. Um, well, <laughs> pretty much all summer long. It was, uh, other than the Indiana Jones movie, I don't think there was anything we were waiting for more uh, in my family. These are the two we've been talking up for sure. I think yeah. we, we 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 put some hype cycles on uh, Indiana Jones and we put some on uh, on the Dark Knight. Although I would say we've we've kind of been talking up. The, the movie summer as as kind of a, a, a an ongoing concern right yeah we've, yeah we've talked about you know week to week that this has been a spectacular movie week so we're going to be getting into the dark night here in just a few minutes because that's uh that's going to be our first topic i i was trying to think of a good rationale for why on this uh, radio program about the future we would talk about um a batman movie and uh I know that we've done, in the past, we've done blogging about how in the future everyone's going to be Batman. There's a lot of technology in the movie. There's a lot of, there's, you know, various arguments we can make. But I guess bottom line is uh, we own this hour, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, we like it, and therefore, and therefore we'll talk about it. Uh, if we want to talk some Batman, we're going to talk some Batman. That's, uh, that's all there is to it. Oh, the other thing I did this week was uh, I got a Blu-ray player in the form of a PlayStation 3. Um, I've not had any any form of high definition DVD players of any sort in my house, and uh, we we went and bought a PlayStation Three, and the Blu-ray player came along for the ride. You know, it's it is a Blu-ray player, and um, man, it, it just it makes a difference. You know, I've I've had this television in my you know uh, for probably four years, and uh, it's 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 been sitting there capable of doing HD all this time, and you know, I just never got around to it, and man, this didn't thing, know it, what you were missing. Huh? Yeah, it's like uh, it, it reminds me to uh, to a lesser extent. It reminds me of when I got glasses when I, you know, when I was when I was about eleven years old. I uh, I got glasses, and all of a sudden realized, hey, you know, the world's not supposed to be blurry. Uh, well, <laughs> it's 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 an amazing thing that it does. In fact, I I I got my Blu-ray working this week too. So this is a banner week for us. Even we both got Blu-ray going. I, I oh, don't have cool. a game console. I just got a Blu-ray player. But uh, got mine uh, at Best Buy. You probably didn't get it. Well, yeah, you kind of did, didn't you? You had a bad. Yeah. <laughs> you and Sarai were telling about your bad experience with Best Buy. Yeah, yeah we've been through that whole story. But anyway, now it works. We got the yeah, TV okay. up and working. We got the, we got the whole right. thing going on much <laughs> cheaper cables. Uh, so life's life's good. But uh, but I want I want to come back to the Blu-ray topic actually a little bit later. I, okay. I I'm going to make a weird connection between that and. Uh, one of our later topics around um, uh, the mysterious electron being in two places at once. And speaking of mysterious, and even being in two places at once, uh, let's say hello to our chat host, Michael Darling. Michael, are you there? I'm here. Good evening. Hey, Mike. And are you anywhere else, I guess is the question. Uh, it, it, it turns out I could be. <laughs> well, you Smarter people than I. 
have postulated that I, I could both be here doing this and be elsewhere doing other things at the same time. Well, he's in the comfort of his home, and he's also in our virtual chat room at the same time. So there you go. That's right. Yeah. And he's in the in in the uh, in the homes of all of our millions of listeners right now too. So <laughs> you, you you literally are just all over the place. <laughs> Michael Darling is a quantum phenomenon. There, I've said it. And I, yeah, I, <laughs> who I who would dispute that? <laughs> so let's let's dive into our topics. I, I want to uh, I want to talk some Dark Knight, uh, Stephen. I believe you got to see it, and uh, I I posted a one line uh, review on the uh, uh, on the blog. I, I see that you uh, uh, dutifully backed that up with some some additional prose. Do you want to uh, Do you want to take a first crack at the Dark Knight? Well, um, Michael, have you seen it? I have. Okay. Did you agree that it was the godfather of superhero movies? Uh, yes. And yeah. actually, I think that understates it, but not by much. Wow. Okay. Um, I, uh, I I I thought it was it was it was a, a great movie. It was genius. Uh, I, but you know, I also you know I was thinking to myself. You know, this is not the feel-good movie of the year for sure. This is, Ooh. you know, this is not something I'm going to uh, just, you know, put on the player and have as background noise while I'm, you know, doing something else. I, it, it would, it would have to be something I would actually put in, put in the, put in the DVD player, sit down and watch, and do nothing else, and uh, and then put it up for a couple of years and maybe watch it again. It's not something I. It, that you do all the time because it's it's kind of tough. This thing, it's actually um, I don't know. It's it's so gritty. It's almost mean to the audience. Uh, but in a way that you walk out and you, and you 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 will. It's not one of those movies that you can just walk out and forget. You will be thinking about this movie for weeks, months, maybe years. It's. Uh, yeah, I I I agree. Well, I think it's hard work. You yeah. Know, for yeah. You, you go in expecting some. You know, you're going to munch some popcorn. And you're given this, um, for one thing, a movie you really have to pay attention to, or you're, or you're going to miss a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's genre bending. It's all over the place. I mean, it, it was not a typical superhero movie. I, I said it was uh, the, the the opening of it, the the, the first I don't know uh, half hour, forty five minutes. I, I thought was more like The Departed or one of those, you know, really good cop movies. I mean, a really good, like, crime drama kind of a film. I've heard and it, it co- compared happened. to Heat. Y'all, yeah. y'all know that movie? Sure. Yeah, yeah, like that. I mean, it, it just, it, 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 was, it was that kind of a story, only in a city that happens to have a superhero who lives in it. Right. And, and I, <laughs> I think that's very cool that, uh, that, that they were able to pull it off. I, I, I thought that Gotham City seemed so much more real. Um, and, Michael, I'm sure you recognize most of Gotham City. I uh, have not been in and around Chicago much lately, but, yeah, I did. And, in fact, I like the fact that, uh, A, you could do it in Chicago instead of New York, which I think was the logical choice for Gotham, and, B, the city was pretty naked, as opposed to Batman Begins, where there was a lot of, uh, what should I say, added visual element to make the urban setting something other than a city you could go walk through. I I thought Chicago was, like, pretty stark. Yeah, it was right out really there. Dress it you up could, much. Not at all. I mean, like for example, the uh, uh, the scene where the uh, the where they with the funeral they were walking through or whatever. Uh, it was a, like a memorial service or whatever. I mean, they were walking right by the canals there or whatever. The you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking. About? I mean, well, and they were having the 
the the bagpipes playing. It was very very Chicago, you know. Yeah, was, I mean they were they're walking right past the Chicago River at one point. I mean, it was, yeah, uh, yeah, it was. It, it, well, it, the other, the other thing that works about that as a set in the context particularly of this film, probably more than Batman Begins, although there was some of it in Batman Begins, is the fact that you sort of have two levels to the city. Because Chicago does have, well, low, for people from Chicago, let me just say Lower Wacker Drive and all of its environs, um, but for people not from the city, you just need to understand that, it, yeah, there's a subway and there's an elevated train and there's some other stuff, but in the downtown area, there really is a two-layer city surface level where everybody walks and operates and then there's another level below there where right. yeah there's people driving around and walking too it, it's it works as a set for this story wow yeah, it yeah. Absolutely, it, it, i thought it absolutely worked I, it really it really made it seem uh really made it seem real and uh, uh um really made it work i thought with the whole uh, just kind of crime drama aspect of it then it kind of turns into this james bond or born identity kind of a movie uh and you know all the while there's this kind of horror movie sitting in there too. <laughs> yeah and, and and to me it was also uh dealing with terrorism in the post 911 world i mean it was uh it, it, you you're right there's there's this thing was operating on so many different levels and man i, I you know you just sit there and marvel at uh the genius of this and you know uh, one big thing was uh, one big th- subject they tackled is the unintended consequences of good men trying to do good things in a in a in, a, in an evil world, you know, and and right. what and and what that can bring about, and sometimes it's not all that great, you know, and and, and in a way more uh, uh, ambitious and for for what it's for for my money uh, intelligent way than happened the first time through the Batman stories in the movies where you had Nicole Kidman as a psychologist trying to figure out Val Kilmer, and Val Kilmer's coming to the realization that, yeah, I'm chasing this guy two-faced, but I really have issues myself, and I'm kind of this split personality, and it's a psych... It's, there was a, a psych, they attempted a psychological component in that movie, but it, it was sort of surface or superficial, whereas this, in, in the form of unintended consequences, much more complicated, much deeper, much... Yeah, bigger and therefore much more impactful, and it's why, uh, Phil, when you said, "Yeah, you, you really got to pay attention," that's part of it. If if you're not thinking about that, going, "Oh, yeah, I stick my finger in the dam, and this is what happens next," and some of it's good, but hey, there's these other things. I, I thought that worked on in every way. Oh, yeah, and, I the, so too. and the, uh, and the end and the ending and how that tied in with the title. I can't. I don't want to give that away, but man, it was just. I mean, it was just beautiful. In, yep. in 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 how well the title fit with how with the non-resolution of the film at the end. Um, anyway, I, just just a great film from beginning to end, but tough. Yeah, I think so, I think so too. I and and I think that um, the the fact that it that it exists in this um, very morally serious universe is just uh, a, a, a real step away from the kind of entertainment based universe that these stories normally take place in. I mean, this is this is, you know, this this is not just the 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 schlock pop psychology. This is like real psychology going on here. You know, this isn't just uh this isn't uh you know, th- there's real consequences to things. And what I what I really like about it, what I liked about um the end of 
um, Batman Begins was was this idea that um, when when Gordon says to Batman, "You've started something," you know, there's hope in the streets. This idea that uh, Batman is not just this um, morally ambiguous character; he actually is a force for good. That that is a post 9/11 view of Batman because. Uh, you know, he used to be a good guy, and then he got turned into this kind of, well, he colors outside the lines, and he, what's more interesting about him <laughs> is that he's, you know, he's edgy and he's dangerous and all that kind of thing. And, and, and you know, Batman Begins came back and said, yeah, he's edgy, he's dangerous, he's out, he colors outside the lines, but, you know, he is like a, a major force for good in this city. And this movie comes along and says, yeah, and actually the people of this city are a major force for good in this city. There's a, there's a thing that occurs in the movie, and I won't go into the details, but it's a it's a big surprise to me the, the way it's resolved and one individual, in especially considering how gritty the movie is. I, I I just knew that. I mean, we were about to go into Nietzsche yeah, territory how could it, how there. Could it, how could it not end up the most horrible way possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, there, there's a situation where a whole bunch of people almost certainly are going to die, and even more than you you know than should, and. Uh, the, 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 the way that gets resolved is such a positive statement about the goodness of people, the, the basic goodness of people. And I was just, I was really blown away by that, especially in the middle of this movie about, you know, people. It was, it was at that point. Making pencils that, disappear and so forth. Yeah. I'm, it was, but I'm it was sorry. at that point where I concluded this movie stands on its own. It's, it's not, it has, to the degree that it's able to, because at the end of the day, yeah, you still got a guy walking around in the cave doing stuff. I mean, there's a superhero in the in the in the story here. But at that moment, I was like, yeah, this movie has just sort of left the genre. And somebody who never read the comic books and never got into the mythology um, can get through this film and go through the, the the characters if they'll you know for a minute give in to the guy with the the, the mask and the cape and the toys. Well, you know, it um, seemed to me it was, it he was almost he was almost a supporting character. It's almost like this movie was, you could have called this movie Gotham City, and it and, and it'd basically be a, a, a crime drama within Gotham City, and oh, by the way, we, you know, we have this... Until the ending, I totally agree, and that's, by the way, where, where the Godfather comparison makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's whatever you have when you have a multitude of characters all interacting in this, in this fictional universe, and then he just happens to be one of them. Right. It, it, yeah, and and every every character was just as important as Batman. Uh, our, our, you know, Harvey Dent just as important as Batman. Uh, yeah, Com- Rachel, just as important as Batman. Yeah, right. I mean, and, and 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 Gordon. People all had a huge part to play. Right. Every one of them. So. Yeah, it, re- it really worked as this kind of ensemble story, kind of like kind of like the uh, kind of like the Godfather. Yeah. Um, to me, that was the movie. It just it really it drove home. I think it could have been more like the Godfather. If um, of all things to ask for, because I know it was trying people's patience, but make it a little bit longer. I think there was there was a little more they could have provided there, and actually have the story take place over a slightly longer time frame, or even a much longer time frame, because you had enough going on there that could have been over the course of years. Well, let me, let me let me just say this, and it doesn't get a lot of talk in the mainstream press reviewing this film either before it came out or since it's come out. Um, but the DVD that came out uh, that was six independent. But tied together stories, uh, which by the way was also novelized. It, it, there's a there's a paperback book that takes all six of those stories and, without breaking them into six, tells one cohesive narrative straight through all six of those. Having read that and seen those six episodes, 
um, I was surprised what they did, both conceptually with the story and how they wanted to bridge Batman Begins into the Dark Knight. Uh, but I think you, you read the you read that or you see those six, you're like, oh, this could have been <laughs> this could have easily been a, uh, a six hour miniseries with you know an hour and ten hour and a half segments uh, running up to leading into the Dark Knight, and maybe. You know, if there's enough uh, interest, we can see something like that with with the next phase. I'm well, sure you know, what it's, the next it's, phase will be. Well, it seems to me that uh, the uh, the producers may have painted themselves in the corner here. Okay, wait, How, hold, hold that thought. Let me let me okay. just say this: this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking some Batman. We're going to carry a little Batman discussion over into our next segment. If you'd like to give us a call, talk some Batman, or maybe talk electric uh, electric vehicles. Uh, how electrons can be in two places at once, or how you can create your own future. We're going to be hitting all those topics this evening. Give us a call at 347-215-8972, or join us in our chat room where we've got a live online chat going on. Okay, Stephen, take it away. How did they paint themselves into a corner? How do you do? How do you move from this? I mean, how do you go on? And you know, um, can you imagine a penguin story being as compelling as this, or a Catwoman story? I mean, where do you go from here? Uh, Unless you reinvent the characters, because Catwoman and Penguin were, I always thought, inherently less interesting than less some of the other characters. Yeah, that's right. But I I'll tell you this: in the in the DVD, in the one of the episodes in there, one of the characters is uh, the Croc, and I always found the Croc to be, you know, sort of who the hell cares? There's a guy who's part <laughs> crocodile living in the sewer. Wicked cool segment. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I enjoyed that too. I watched that. Uh, I, I watched that Gotham. Uh, Gotham Knight uh, this week too. I, I liked that one. I, I enjoyed the whole arc of the thing, but actually, I never thought that any of it lived up to the first one. Okay. No, no, nowhere near. Yeah, the the first. Did you did you happen to see it too, Stephen? Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Okay, so just to fill people in, uh, the first cartoon is a bunch of kids, a bunch of skateboarders who've all had a, an encounter with Batman, each telling their story, and. Um, I, I thought that this was kind of a metaphor for what we were about to see because we're gonna now we're gonna see each of these animators take on the subject of Batman and they each have their own spin just the way each of these kids saw Batman so radically differently. But that was a lot more interesting and imaginative, I thought, than than, than what we ended up seeing uh, for the rest of the movie. So I was a little bit uh, a little bit uh, disappointed by that. I, I did enjoy it very much, and I especially enjoyed watching it on my Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, you know that said, even if these guys have painted themselves in a corner and they're not able to, you know, go forward with the series after this in a in a in an interesting or compelling way, I'm still glad. I mean, you know, this uh, the Dark Knight is is just if it were the only Batman movie ever made and they never bothered to make another one, that'd be okay. Well, it, I. I... Let me just say this: in the uh, in the graphic novel universe in Batman, um, I think the best uh, confrontation he ever has with a bad guy is with a character who, in the movie uh, version, first time around, was totally trivialized, and that was Bane. And it was mostly an interesting story for the Batman character because uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman um, fight Bane in their own way, each in their own way, and Bane breaks Batman's back. Right, literally snaps him like a twig, and Batman has to basically run off and hide and vanish. And he, you know, does the thing, and he goes and he gets and he learns how to fight again. And he comes back and defeats Bane, sort of. He kind of fights Bane to a standoff. But um, I, I, I was so disappointed the way Bane was portrayed the first time around. It's like, yeah, you would need another 
film in between this and what I would see is the the confrontation you could build up to for Bane because you can't very well have the next one be where Batman's got to go hide and rebuild himself just like he did in Batman Which one Begins. was the end? I don't remember seeing Bane in any of the Oh, he was, uh, in, the wor- was, he was in the worst one. Bane was one. Poison Ivy's sidekick. Yeah, that was Batman That's how they Robin. Realized him. I, that, that was the movie that I've intentionally put out of my right. mind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even recall Bane. It, it was yeah. awful. It was an awful, was, awful movie. It was poorly, poorly rendered character, and it was a uh, weak, weakly rendered film. Well, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I, you know, I, it, Batman Begins was such a complete reboot uh, that you know, I, I don't even think of those movies anymore. That it's, those are that's just not the same. Well, that's I would not, say not this, the Batman I've chosen to accept. I guess in the uh, in in the world of mainstream film and big budget cinema. But for Jack Nicholson doing Joker and Michael Keaton doing an astonishingly good Batman, um, you couldn't have Batman Begins. They would have never made it. Yeah, it, it oh, wasn't no, going to be I Harry Potter and and Lord of the Rings that was going to trigger a Batman film. It was going to yeah, be yeah, the Tim Burton Batman movies set the stage for a lot of stuff. I, I, I don't. It, think it, I told yeah exactly. Yeah. I think he meant like the next two after those maybe. Yeah, yeah that's you. right. I, I, like, I did like the first two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the first the first two are pretty amazing. I mean. What, what I like about uh, what, what I like about what we're seeing now is, uh, you know, Tim Burton is just like, hey, let's put on a freak show. You know, the, here's a here's a guy who wears a rubber suit, and here's a crazy guy whose face is white and has green hair. You know, I can make fun things happen with something like this. Um, and uh, there's a spirit of that going on in this movie too. But it's it, it, it's also in a, in a world where, you know, people care about things like whether goodness really exists, and uh, just really makes a huge it's, it's, difference. One it's thing the I want to modern say about day that, archetypic uh, good versus evil. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And one, one thing I want to say about that, and I, I'm a little disappointed by the way it ended just because of this. Let me, let me pose a question to you guys, and I'll try not to give away too much. But doesn't the resolution of that problem I was talking about earlier indicate that you don't have to give the people a big lie, that you can let the people have the, the truth about who's good and who's not good? Well, that, don't, don't that, those two messages I, kind of contradict each other? It does, and I think the contradiction may be the uh, ultimate resolution in a third film. Oh, okay. Well, when, that would be the that would be Two Face coming back, right? No, no, no. I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that um, that Batman's name is cleared, and uh, and and and, and it, it, the people of Gotham understand what really happened, and they they don't lose hope. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's, that, that's what I'd like to. I'd like to see it go in that kind of a direction. I think that yeah. would be. Uh, that would be in keeping with the. the, the I hope kind I didn't give away too much. They've had yeah. up to this point. Okay, and just two more things, and then we've really got to move on to other topics. Okay, <laughs> but uh, can we agree? Coolest motorcycle of all time. Yeah, yeah, and the and the funnest moment in the film is the when the motorcycle takes on the eighteen wheeler. Don't say that's a spoiler. But uh, <laughs> let's just say that if you didn't, if you weren't reminded of. The Empire Strikes Back at that moment, then you haven't seen The Empire Strikes Back recently <laughs> enough. Am I right? It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a very specific thing that happens there that put me in mind of something that happened. Am I, is it just me? No, I, I, I agree. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't know how to respond without giving away too much. So. <laughs> yeah, just say yes, Phil. Yeah, yeah, Phil. <laughs> 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 it's so easy. Okay, so we're going to move on then, and we're going to talk a little uh, electric vehicles. We're, let's let's uh, 
let's talk about this. Stephen, you put a post up this week about um, how we can kind of like stepping stone, get, our, get from where we are today to truly electric cars. Um, why, don't you, why don't you walk us through that? Well, the idea is this, that, uh, that uh, the electric cars are the ultimate destination. Okay, that's that's where we're we're driving. We're all all driving around. Pretty much all of us are driving around in gasoline or diesel powered vehicles, and that ultimately we will move to electric vehicles for a number of reasons. Um, we mentioned this in the last show that one of the reasons that we might want to do this is that electric is the ultimate flex fuel. You can make electric out of anything uh, that you happen to have available, and so if one exactly. thing gets a little expensive, you just move to the other thing to make your electricity. But at any rate. If we accept that electric is where we're going, then how do we get there? Well, uh, it seems to me that the obvious thing is that we get there and in, in incrementally with hybrids. We've got hybrids now that are, uh, for the most part, are not plug-in hybrids. Then we'll move to plug-in hybrids, and the, and the electric part of the hybrid vehicle will become more and more powerful to the point where we just say, well, why are we, why are we lugging around this gas engine? Let's get rid of that, and now we're... Now we're driving electric vehicles, and I who guess was the, was, who, who was it that was quoted recently as saying that the the gas engine is really a big liability in uh, in hybrids? And we have it was a guy from uh, Lexus. Uh, sorry, Tesla. Tesla. From yeah, the, Pay- the PayPal okay. founder who's in on Tesla. That's right. Right. Exactly right. Um, and and Michael, you're, I appreciate you uh, you pointing the uh, this article out to me because then that's when I went and wrote this wrote this post over at the Speculus, but yeah, it's uh, e- Elon Musk is his name, and uh, he's he he has started two companies in addition to now PayPal. He's uh, he started Tesla. Um, he's and uh, our, he was involved in Tesla from the very beginning. He's now the chairman. He's also the chairman of a solar company, and his idea is that you know uh, electric vehicles in every driveway and solar panels uh, on every rooftop to to partially uh, to um, power those vehicles and. That's. I think that's a pretty good vision. Uh, but he he believes that uh, hybrids are not, you know, not they're not the future. That ultimately uh, electrical vehicles will be. Now that said, he is a guy who has a vested interest in seeing his electric car company succeed. Absolutely. And so now he, he he was committed to the vision before he started the company, but now he's got to sell that vision, or you know, hybrids are going to kick his ass. Well, I, I, I think... have to agree with him, but I'm just saying. Well, uh, he has. I don't think that the man has uh, any problems in uh, in selling his vehicles. Uh, he's got a w- waiting list on it. As he ramps them up and uh, and for them to be accepted, uh, uh, you know, beyond just the uh, the super expensive, you know, sports cars for the very re- very wealthy, um, he's going to have to sell those. Those vehicles are going to have to sell themselves. And one of the things is you have to have a range that's comparable with gasoline vehicles. You have to be able to uh, fuel them up in a, in a reasonable period of time, and really, you have to have places that you can fill it up. You know. Yep. And uh, the, uh, the infrastructure. To back, has to be on, to back up on one point, the idea of dragging around the separate engine, uh, which is the hybrid model, where you have two versions. Right. Uh, you can drive electric. You can drive with gas. There was a prototype. There was a guy in Southern Cal who built a prototype uh, electric slash electric hybrid, where one engine. Uh, was was basically on a trailer that you could detach, and that was the internal combustion gas engine. It was a sequence hybrid where the gas engine was really only there to recharge the battery because the whole drivetrain was electric, and um, you could detach the battery and be 100% electric, or you could attach the trailer and now you had you had what you had. 
interesting prototype, and I think he proved to himself that in 99% of driving situations, dragging around the internal combustion engine just was not worthwhile. That's right, and so... Uh, and with that, you know, you'd only take that trailer if you're going on a long trip, and uh, you needed to gas up, basically. Right. And that's yeah, that's a, that's an interesting uh, workaround too. So. Yeah. Well, I think the, the thing is, we're we're just we're very close. We were talking about this last week. I think we're we're within a generation or two of battery technology that would allow us to do most of our day-to-day driving with an electric car. I mean, I, I think the range just needs to be a little bit greater. And if you're just driving to work. And you're coming home, or you're going out and doing your errands. Um, if you're not, if you're not taking a lot of road trips, you're not like a traveling salesperson, you know, who who has a route or something like that, and they're just always on the road. Um, we're we're pretty close to that now. But there is there is this question then about well, what about you know once a year I do want to take a big road trip, right? Uh, how how are we going to handle that? And I, I think one of the things that gets glossed over, and it might have been Elon Musk, it might it might have been the same. Uh, the same article in which in which I, I got the quote about uh, how the internal combustion engine is a hindrance, but uh, it, it seemed like he was very dismissive of the idea of people taking road trips. And I'm not sure that uh, the middle part of the country is uh, is ready to give up on road trips quite yet. You know, if you if you if you live in California and you're just you know zipping around a big city, or if you live on the East Coast and you're just zipping around a big city, you 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 can get pretty comfortable with the idea that you never have to drive very far. Right. But if you live in, in you know my sister lives in rural Kansas, you know, um, road trips are kind of a part of her life. You know, she has to drive long distances to come see uh, the rest of her family, to, to see her husband's family. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, thing that, uh, it's a thing that people have to, have to deal with, and um, I, I think it, it, that's part of the hurdle that somehow has to be overcome. Well, you know, one, uh, one potential way of doing it would be uh, – to own the electric vehicle that you drive around on a regular basis to, you know, do your errands within, you know, uh, 60, 70 miles of your house. And uh, then when you go on a road trip, uh, go rent a Hertz, you know, or so, you know, something like that. Uh, or co-op. Yeah, exactly. You could own a share in uh, in a car that uh, and that gives you a certain amount of, you know, like a timeshare kind of deal. You could do something but like I don't, that. I honestly don't think it's going to make that much difference because I think – uh, I see the convergence, not so much singularity convergence, but uh, uh, some step before that in storage technology that says, yeah, it's not that insurmountable. We yeah. can get range that's that's good enough for almost every situation. When you want that long road trip, you might, if you insist on having the 10-minute stop to refuel, have to rep- preposition uh batteries basically or some storage so that when you get there you just swap out the storage and keep going but it's not insurmountable i mean you could do it now with with some planning well elon musk was talking about um he he was saying for example uh if you're going from los angeles to san francisco which is about a 400 mile trip he imagines uh driving a couple hundred miles stopping for lunch charging the car in the restaurant parking lot assuming of course they've got charge ports and uh you know after after finishing lunch uh 45 minutes an hour later uh you can c- continue the remaining 200 miles because it's got quick charge capability now right um quick charge being uh you can get 3 quarters of the battery filled in an hour but that, and now uh, that, an hour is a lot longer obviously than um uh um you know than than it takes to fill up a a tank of gas now but uh you know if uh if you rarely make these road trips 
and you need to stop for an hour anyway every couple hundred miles, um, then eh, you know it's it, it would be it would be not as good, but it might be doable. Yeah, let me let me just say this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about electric cars. Uh, if you'd like to join our discussion, you can uh, join our online chat or give us a call at three four seven two one five eight nine seven two. Yeah, so the, the interesting thing about that is it sounds like okay, well he's described how this works perfectly for him and his needs. Uh, yeah, this is yeah. an inside Denver joke. Michael will get it. I don't know if anyone else will, but it's like when they first built the light rail. And a friend commented, yeah, the guy who built that thing's a genius. You know, he lives up there in Five Points. He works down there by Gates Rubber Company. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just an inside Denver job. Actually, anybody <laughs> in Sacramento will, will know the same joke because the uh, the light rail they built in Sacramento to prove the concept initially uh, sort of did the same thing. It went from two, one place to another place through the downtown uh, in a way that you go, yeah, there's probably six or seven people in the city that can really use this. Yeah, it went from one undesirable location to another undesirable location. Well, oh, it went from it went from actually quite dense locations, but the chance that somebody's going from one to the other at any given time is like well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that, that that's the yeah that's the uh, that that was really kind of the joke about it. I mean, yeah, it, it would be a perfect fit for uh, this one odd person, you know. And I think it's like, well, yeah, th- this is the kind of trip I take, and this thing would work perfectly for me. I was like, well, that's great, well, for you, but I, I think. Um, you're going to need to uh, – I really think where he's going to have to adjust his thinking is around how long people are willing to wait for a car to be fueled because yeah. we have yeah, a very set expectation in our mind as to how long that takes. And I, I will that, say that you can you, – I think he, uh, Tesla or other electric vehicle companies, uh, I'll just throw – well, if we, if we start talking about different EVs, I'll, th- I'll throw a couple out by names, but um, I think they can overcome that with the cost – differential because when you tell somebody hey you're going to make that 450 mile drive from LA to San Francisco or from Denver to Cody Wyoming or from uh, New Orleans to wherever you uh, Lynchburg Tennessee um, and it's going to cost you 400 bucks in gasoline or it's going to cost you $61 in electricity but you have to stop for an hour in the middle you might overcome that yeah yeah that's true. That's true. And 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 uh, you know, and there's there's of course the middle alternative where you're you're driving a hybrid and uh instead of 60 or 400 dollars it's somewhere in the middle. Um you know, you, there's going to be inter- it's it's going to be an interesting trade-off, you know. Yeah, that's what well, that's what makes the uh the internal combustion engine in the hybrid uh, an asset at this point and will continue to be until you until you've got a quick charge solution, I think. Which is So short bridge or long bridge? What's that? Uh, I, I guess my question to you, you guys, is: is uh, is hybrid going to be the short bridge to electric vehicles? Are, are we going to be uh, all in, in full electric vehicles in ten years, or is it going to be a long bridge, twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty years? To... I think if we recognize that we're on a bridge, and we recognize that uh, hybrids need to be a short bridge to quick charge, then it's a short bridge. If um, if if we don't recognize that, if hybrids become an end unto themselves, then, it, then I think it might turn out to be a very long bridge indeed. I don't know. What do you I, think, I think Michael? it's going to be a short bridge, and here's why. The vehicle uh, acquisition and ownership cycle for most American households um, is long enough now. It's you know somewhere between two and five years um, and, and longer in some households, namely mine, um, that when you, you look out and go, well, I'm going to go buy a car, well, 
yeah, I don't want something that's obsolete in two to three years. And it's not a question of, well, I can get a hybrid now, and then the next go-around I can do it. It's the same reason that Windows basically dominated the software universe, even though there were plenty of good operating systems out there when DOS was introduced. It's like, yeah, it's all or nothing. Once you get to a tipping point, nobody is going to want to run their Commodore anymore on whatever the heck operating system that ran on. It's it's all or nothing at that point. It's not quite all or nothing. It's like 90-10, 99-1, and everybody will race to get the thing that you know is going to outlive that three to five year ownership cycle, which will be an. Yeah, I'm giving a shout out to Harvey. Yes, we want more. Give us more examples of what you're talking about. And uh, Michael, fill us in on what he's saying here. It, Harvey has raised the point. Uh, he was making some points about uh, what was going on in in the movie Who Killed the Electric Car. Um, and raised the point that electric cars will have a, a negative impact on some parts of our economy, and I was pushing him to say, like, I can see that it have a negative impact on gasoline sellers, but other impacts such as what? Because I think the negative impacts, A, they're outweighed, but B, I think even those specific uh, merchants, if you will, or those participants in the economy who are negatively impacted by a shift to EVs, um, we'll be able to transition in a way that's still beneficial for them. Well, I think it's interesting. Harvey gives the example. He says um, electric cars will not require the same sort of maintenance. So, for example, Midas might go out of business, right? They're not going to... Midas is still going to sell tires and brakes. Uh, on your electric car. You, w- you will still need tires and brakes on your electric car. Um, uh, but the muffler business goes bye-bye, right? So anybody who's that's right. strictly in the muffler business is going to be uh, is, is going to be out of work. Although there's the analogy there is is the analogy there the horse buggy whip I don't know I mean uh, it's uh, at some point you say yeah it's true if you switch from one paradigm to another um, those who don't make a shift along with that paradigm are going to lose right I mean the, the, yeah the, yes I would unless agree. unless you're the very last one if you if you're the very last muffler shop in the entire country and uh, those few people that have these uh, antique cars that need muffler work are going to come to you. Well, well that's there true. are still there might companies still be some guy making horse buggy whips too. I, I would there yeah, are. and and there's also uh, there's there's also a, a guy that's making uh, wooden props for airplanes, and he's the only one doing it. And even uh, he's even got a couple of military contracts uh, because uh, these wooden props are apparently uh, not very visible to radar. Anyway, it's um, sometimes it pays to be the last guy in the business. But. Yeah, but the business tip to Midas would be, hey. Start looking at electric cars, figuring out what kind of maintenance gizmos they're going to need, and start uh, start thinking about how you how you make the switch to that. Right. Yeah. It's not going to need much. Well, I mean, points out that he is for the electric car. He's trying to trying to think of why it was stalled, and um, I think this goes back to the you guys were talking about that movie. The uh, I, I don't accept the conspiracy theory though I, uh, that that apparently that movie was trying to sell. I I, uh, I, I believe it was just a matter of tech, the technology wasn't ready. And the electric car I, I disagree. Never... I disagree. I think uh, I, I disagree with both the people who made the movie and their conspiracy theory, and I disagree that technology wasn't ready because you have to define ready a little bit more carefully. The vehicles worked. Were they profitable for GM? I suspect they were at the level GM was operating in, but GM saw two things. GM saw if we roll out electric vehicles big, like if we do a rollout with the EV1 that's as big as they rolled out for, say, the Saturn, or some other division of GM, they are going to gut the rest of their business. And that's bad. 
if you're GM. You've got to make that yeah. transition a little bit more intelligently. And two, I think they saw that for every dollar invested in the EV1, they got a positive return, and, and I don't know the numbers because I don't know the GM business model well enough, but let's just say their return was ten at the end of the day. And they said, hey, we saw, we saw a 10% return on our dollar, but they're seeing a 30% return in the Hummer, and they're seeing a 50% return in their pickup trucks. Right. Well, they got an ethical obligation of their shareholders to chase the bigger return. As long I, guess, as they can. The, I guess their crystal ball didn't show them uh, this future that we're living in now where they're not making any money with those vehicles anymore. They're not the only ones, because let me say this about the Toyota Prius. As beautiful as it is, as well-engineered as it is, as quick as it's been to leap to the forefront of the uh, and, and dominance in the hybrid universe, the first Priuses had electrical outlets to plug in, and they took them off. And it was a marketing decision that said, we don't want people to think this car has to be plugged in. Yeah. And they're right, but they were wrong, too. Well, I think the, the other thing you have to look at is that uh, bu- businesses uh, don't operate with uh, that much of a crystal ball. The business, the businesses I'm, I'm familiar with work like a quarter at a time. So it, it's, it's hard to have the grand strategic five years from now, SUVs aren't going to be selling very well, so we need to get out of that business. Um, yeah. Because th- these people want to make their quarter, and they want to go to club and stuff That's right. like that. You know, I mean, there's, the, 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 things, the things that motivate uh, the decisions that get made, and it could it could very well be that who killed the electric car was the guy who couldn't show a thirty percent return on it. Uh, yeah, know, maybe he was. The, That's he, right. He was the guy who, who who couldn't make a compelling case for let's do it this quarter. This quarter we're going to make the money that you would have made on SUVs, and that might have just been in the face of uh, uh, what was economic reality then. But who's going to bring the electric car into being is 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 the individual guy or woman who is able to make that kind of a make that kind of money with one of them. And uh, I, I guess Elon Musk is hoping that that's that's going to be him. They got to get out of the stratosphere first. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can do it. I mean, DeLorean's a good example of of taking on big big auto companies. At the end of the day, you got to ask why does a startup have a better chance of building a mainstream, affordable, everybody can have one car um, when Subaru or Toyota or GM or Ford or anybody else could do it too. Why does the startup have the edge? I don't know that they do. Well, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that they do either. Except that business may have changed sufficiently that it might be more of a Google model, where uh, it might be cheaper to have somebody work out all the kinks and then you acquire them than to than to develop the thing in house. But I don't know. These these, these, these questions are. Uh, we, we need to get we need to get some electric car folks on here and have a show about this. Actually, I think that would be. Well, the uh, the guy I think that would be fun to get um, is not strictly speaking an electric car guy, but Amory Lovins at the Rocky Mountain Institute would be a blast. You guys get him. <laughs> or Neil Young. I saw Neil Young on David Letterman the other night. He's doing an electric conversion of a '56 Lincoln Continental. I'm like, are Neil you Young crazy? It turns out Neil Young is crazy. Huh. <laughs> um, okay. Well, maybe Neil Young. All right. Oh, we're getting a comment here that says no audio. Any suggestions? Oh, Michael's working on that. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're uh, talking about electric cars, and we're about to talk about uh, some uh, interesting developments in science here. If you'd like to join our discussion, uh, we've got it going live in the chat room, or you can give us a call, 347-215-8972. All right, so now I want to talk about... um, this, this could almost be an astounding science fact. Why don't we go ahead and cue that up? 
discussion about this earlier this week and I, I want to come into this by way of uh, by way of blu-ray because here's here's the uh, here's the topic the thing we're going to talk about is uh, scientists in a lab actually able to put um, place an electron into two different places at the same time to control the fact that a single particle is in two distinct places at the same time one particle two different places so it's one of these it just kind of uh, shatters your brain a little bit and just kind of, uh, it, it just goes to show you that ultimately down at the quantum level, the, uh, the universe doesn't really function the way we expect it to up here at the macro level. We have a very clear idea at the macro level of how the universe works and, and, and we have these kind of Newtonian classical models of how things interact uh, that, that work very well for us at this level. But when you get down to the quantum level, it turns out things are very different from that. Uh, whereas uh, a, a macro structure such as Phil Bowermaster cannot be here and uh, in Albuquerque at the same time, um, a, an electron apparently can be here and in Albuquerque at the same time. And that just... Just, just so we're clear, Phil, are you in Albuquerque now? I'm not. No, my wife is. Just checking. just flown to Albuquerque, so that's why that city came to mind immediately. Okay. Um, I'm in Highlands Ranch. You see, that's the weird part. Um, so, so, so I want to back up a little bit and talk about something not nearly as weird, but which starts to point me in this direction. And this is this is going back to the whole Blu-ray experience because I wanted to talk about this. I, I'd written uh, this in email. I, I got a new Blu-ray player, and I took an old DVD, and I stuck it into the Blu-ray player and brought it up on my uh, on my new HD TV, and suddenly this movie is. Um, in higher contrast than it, than it was uh, as a DVD on a regular TV. I can see that, all right? I can accept that. It's also in higher contrast than it was when I saw it at the cinema, right, years ago. And this is the part I can't get my head around. I'm looking at this, I'm going, I, you know, I don't think it was filmed this clear, right? I, I, th- this looks like it's in 3D to me. I saw this movie years ago, and it wasn't in 3D, <laughs> and now it looks to me like it's in, like it's in 3D. Somehow... Although I understood what was going on with a VCR, and and I thought I understood pretty well what was going on with a DVD, <laughs> suddenly when I take my DVD and stick it into my Blu-ray player, I'm lost. And I think maybe I never really understood any of this. But 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 it almost seems that uh, that the uh, that that player is augmenting what's there. It, it's it's somehow improving what what already existed. This is the up up convert to HD that. Uh, that that Blu-ray is capable of. So so the question is, um, is is the effect just in my imagination? Am I not really seeing it as clear as I thought, or maybe the movie looked better than I thought it did originally? Although I really don't think it did. It's not your imagination, Phil, but I do have an answer for you. Um, okay, go. Sort of. Uh, Philip Swan is the president and CEO of TVPredictions.com. Okay, he was interviewed right. by Washington Post this last February, and it was not about this subject really at all, but they kind of touched on this subject. And uh, when we got into this discussion on email, I, I pulled it up and, and read it. 
And uh, Washington Post asked him, uh, or the guy at the Washington Post asked him, for a guy like me who's not a total movie buff or electronics geek, does it make any sense to go to Blu-ray or just simply get one of the up-leveling DVD players with the HDMI cable to make my DVD collection look more HD? Is that much of a difference? Uh, For those of us who have spent hundreds if not thousands of dollars building a DVD collection, the thought of having to buy all new discs is is a deterrent to upgrading. Philip Swan says, if I had to rate the picture quality, the Blu-ray being a 10, the upconverted uh, DVD player is a 6. And I think that's what's happening with the Blu-ray. Uh, when you put stick a DVD in your Blu-ray, it's really upconverting DVD. Okay, And it says standard def DVD is 4. Okay, In other words, if picture quality matters to you, a high def DVD player is the way to go. With, so get you a Blu-ray just, player. Just to touch no, no, on no, an no, earlier hey, point. Hang on. Wait, this does not answer the question, okay? Let's no, say the really... movie originally let's say the movie originally was at about a seven. I'm telling you, I'm seeing an eight on my T V. Okay, is... <laughs> I think I think sometimes feel that they, they may uh they may film it at a ten and but by the time it gets to your local theater you're seeing it at a five. Yeah, you know? okay. Okay. And then, and uh, and then, uh, you, when you get it home on your DVD uh, machine, you might be seeing it as six. And then you upconvert that DVD by sticking your Blu-ray player, and you're seeing it at an eight or nine. But still, you, you, the the information is okay, there. I will buy. Okay. Yeah, the information has always been there. It's just that uh, you know, you, better equipment's able to access that information better. I, I don't think okay, anything. Get it in your eye. I don't think anything uh, magical is happening. I think. Well, it's, of uh, course, nothing nothing magical is happening, but it seems magical. And if you think back oh, no. 20 years ago on a VCR, if someone had said, "Well, this new VCR is going to get you to 90% of what you would see uh, at the movie," and you go, "Wow, that's really pretty close," but if someone had said, "This new VCR is going to get you to 125% of what you see at the movie," you would have said, "That's impossible." Right? Yeah. There's, simply, there's simply no way that can happen. And, and, and yet we, we, we have something that we would have said was impossible now actually occurring. Technology has taken us to this point where we go, hey, I, I didn't even think that was possible, but apparently that is possible. And uh, Here, Here's the, the minor point that I wanted to go back to. This is why uh, uh, hybrids are going to be a short bridge. It's why Blu-ray is now going to crush any other format out there. Because who the hell is going to buy the the HD DVD player that's a 7 when they could buy the Blu-ray player that's a 10. Right. Well, yeah, HD is dead. Uh, HD DVD Every is Every other format dead. is now dead. Yeah. It'll survive yeah. as, a, as a relic. I mean, there's some 8-track tapes out there, but they're no, gone. What I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that because what I was seeing last night was the Blu-ray upconvert of a regular, right? Right. I don't know that an HD upconvert... Would have been any different. I think that would have been the same, and that was incredibly good quality. Now I know that a blue had I been playing a Blu-ray disc, that would have been even higher quality. But currently, my Blockbuster only has like one shelf of Blu-rays, right? Right. So you're, you're not getting that experience all that often, anyhow. Um, yeah. I, I realize that uh, you know the, the, the whole discussion about well the standards wars are over, Blu-ray Blu-ray is one. I, I I imagine that's probably true, but I'm not uh, I, I'm not completely convinced. Yet, uh, it, it still seems to me like uh, uh, something else. Can your else Blu-ray you player in. play a regular DVD? Absolutely. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. That can you it? That's what I was doing. Yeah, right. I was watching so one of my old you, DVDs and I was seeing it. In you 3D, play a DVD right? and it fits in your Blu-ray player, but if you play a Blu-ray disc in your DVD player, it doesn't work. I'm just saying that as a format, the DVD is going to survive. I mean, I have a I have a box full of VHS tapes downstairs, and thank God I didn't buy a box full of Beta tapes, even though they were better. Yeah. Right. 
Well, there you go. That uh, you know, there there used to be whole shelves. I guess that's my point. Uh, I used to work at a video store, and we had at one time equal walls of VHS and Beta. So the fact that there are uh, there's one wall of Blu-ray to me doesn't indicate that the war is over quite yet. Uh, you know, it, it seems to be over between Blu-ray and uh, HD uh, uh, DVD, but that doesn't mean that the war is over just yet. But anyhow, I'm just we, saying, we digress from from our. Uh, where, where I was going from this was okay. So that was a thing that seemed possible, but clearly it is possible, as as you guys have uh, have pointed out. Now, now, what about this one? Because this one really really messes with us. And, and Michael, you you had pointed to the original article on that. So tell us exactly what these scientists are doing. Well, what they're doing is trying to build a quantum computer. Um, and in a uh, in a nutshell, uh, quantum computer is desirable because at some point you're, you're talking about transistors on a chip um, and Moore's Law would suggest it's going to happen in the next uh, 12 to 20 years, but you're talking about transistors on a chip at the atomic level and the way to continue uh, adding both computational speed and memory management in a, in a uh, manageable way is you go to quantum computing. This article, uh, which appeared in uh, Technology Review, which is published by MIT, um, does a nice story about talking about what these guys are doing in, in their effort to build. Uh, it does lead off saying that this team has shown that it can control the quantum state of a single electron in a transistor, uh, even, and they don't put it in quotes, but they should, putting the electron in two places at once. And further in the article it says, uh, it talks about how they set this up and what they do, and it's kind of a nuts and bolts of, you know, I used a quarter-inch bolt for this, and I used a three-quarter for that, and obviously they're building computers, so they're not using nuts and bolts, but it's a kind of a mechanical description. And then they talk about the, uh, if they vary the voltage across one wire, they could control the st- quantum state of the atom's electrons using an imaging technique called uh, uh, scanning tunnel spectroscopy, they were able to distinguish three states of the atoms in all six devices because they've got little locations wired together. And one of those states corresponded with the electron being in two places at the same time, a property necessary for, or believed to be necessary for quantum computing. And the article goes on to talk about why that breakthrough is huge. And uh, prior to the show, Phil, you had brought up the... the electron through the gate or through the slit that looks like it's showing up in two places at once or you're getting two electrons triggering the gate even though it's only a single electron. This is, I think, slightly bigger because, A, they're controlling it. They can sort of turn it on and turn it off at will. And, B, it becomes, if they can do what they're on the path to do, it becomes a way to build a device um, where you're actually using that as both your computational capability and your memory management capability or your, your actual memory. And now, at that point, you go, wow. The, you start to look at the numbers and you're like, those numbers, that you know, you start talking about things to the 90th power. I'm like, wait a minute, 10 to the 90th, isn't that a bigger number than all of the known particles in the universe? I mean, it's right. just too dang and big. It, it, that, that is big. That's, that's bigger than the universe, and you've got 10 to the 90th what exactly with this computer? 10 to the 90th? You switches, don't necessarily get it with the, the, the. You get ten to the ninetieth of of quantum states, or uh, if 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 I can make a human comparison, what would be the equivalent of the synapse in a human brain that you've got to manage, and you've got to be able to 
both control and predict what's going on, although this is where the head-spinning part comes in. I'm like, yeah, but isn't part of the whole thing with the prediction in quantum computing that you really can't... The, the prediction component says, yeah, the cat might be alive, the cat might be dead, and we won't know until... And the cat won't actually be alive or dead. It'll be both until we open the box. Are we talking so about... That's a, part what just loses me. Uh, are we talking about a computer that's so powerful that it could, like, model the universe, that kind of thing? Um yeah, is that is that where yes? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know how to, I don't even know how to answer it. As I read, you know, filter down the gauntlet a little bit this morning and said, "Hey, we could talk about the electron in two places at once if you could talk about it." So I've been reading articles and trying to, you know, get the the idiot's guide to quantum computing, and it's like, yeah, the idiot's guide to quantum computing. I'm either not dumb enough. I know too much other stuff that, you know, the installed base in my brain just says, no, that doesn't work, that's crazy, or I'm not smart enough, and I can't tell the difference. Um, uh, another <laughs> we, we, won't, we won't, we won't uh, lay any bets on which it is, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're <laughs> no, much too kind for that. Yeah, yeah, it could be either way. <laughs> Matt, Matt says 10 billion times that number. I, 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 Matt, I lost the thread with you there. 10 billion times the uh, 10 to the 90th? And where does that put us? What, what are we getting out of 10 billion times that number? If you could respond in chat and let Michael know, that would be great, because uh, I'm intrigued by this. One of, the, one of the things that I've read about quantum computers is that uh, they're going to have all this tremendous power, but there's only certain things that they're good for and that they won't be very good at a lot of... Uh, okay, okay, Matt Matt's saying 10 billion times the number of particles of the universe. So I'm saying then, Matt, and check me if I'm wrong or anyone else, uh, that per Stephen's point, that would be enough computing power to model the universe. And even if it's, it's not very good at it, yeah, even if it's not That's very the idea. good at it, it you could you in could the original article they go on the the guy part of the guy who ran one of the guys who was ran part of the team said, look, we can model and control the behavior of a single atom, but in order to do that in a quantum computer, you have to model millions of atoms so that your prediction for the one that you're trying to control is useful. And then you say, okay, well at the point where you're talking about a useful quantum computer, it's not one atom you're trying to uh, predict and control. It's how many? Well, it's actually millions. And you have to model millions for each one. So you, you kind of have to model the... You're going to end up having to model the universe to have a useful quantum computer. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, it turns out it's not a very good word processor, and it wouldn't play Pong very well. <laughs> but other things, it potentially, theoretically, could do better. You couldn't run your Blu-ray discs on it, for example. <laughs> but, oh, but, well. but you could run the universe on it. Well, and, and we go back to one of our favorite topics as to whether the universe we're living in is a simulation. Obviously, we're getting closer to figuring out that we're just a software program running on somebody else's quantum computer. But then if we build a quantum computer... See, doesn't that just sort of start freaking you out a little bit when you start thinking about well, that? Well, when you get yeah. that kind of... How many levels deep are we of... simulating? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because theoretically, if we built a quantum computer, even in our level, it should be able to determine that there's a level above us. And in fact, it should be able to communicate with that quantum computer. Wow. Even if we okay. couldn't. So ultimately, the quantum computer can settle this question as to whether the universe is a simulation. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, settle being a, a strange choice of words. It, it can answer it. Let's just say that is the best well, I can understand okay. it. Answer settle in you know, the semantics at that point. But uh, that's what we're looking. <laughs> yeah, for. but okay, it, so it gives you one of those answers like, yeah, the cat's in the box. 
both dead and alive, and in every other possible quantum state. And until you observe it, you know, it doesn't choose its quantum state. It doesn't resolve to a classical state. Okay, so we're a simulation or we're not until we resolve that issue. <laughs> and on that happy note, I'm going to say that I think we've figured out the practical application for an electron being in two places at once. And we have to move on quickly now, Stephen, to our music of the evening. Okay. Um, let's see. I, I had a couple of choices here. Excuse me. Well, okay. The the uh, music tonight is from Lato, or it's Lato. It's L A T O. I don't it, you know pronounce that however you like. But the uh, name of the song is Hollywood for You. Hollywood for You by Lato. All right. Well, we'll listen to that, Stephen. Uh, when do you think we'll see show notes on uh, this? First draft in about an hour or two, and then final version sometime tomorrow afternoon. It'll be done. All right. Well, it's been great uh, talking with you this evening, Stephen. Thank you very much. Michael, uh, thanks to you and to all our friends in the chat room. Right back at you. And to everyone listening, uh, it's been uh, a pleasure. We look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night. Good night.